0: Hello and welcome back to the Security Conversations podcast. I have asked my guest today, Jason Shockey. Jason is the CISO for a company called Senlar FSB. Uh, let's start right there. Jason, what is Senlar FSB and what does the CISO do over there?
1: Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Um, you know, Sendlar FSB is a, is a bank like uh, people would think of, uh, but not the normal type of type of bank where there's checking accounts and savings accounts and you go to an ATM. Uh, What we do is mortgage subservicing. So we have the same amount of data, the same sensitive data. Uh, So the same chief information security officer work, regulated through the federal government, through the OCC. Uh, So it's a lot of identify, protect, detect, respond and recover or what we all know as the NIST cybersecurity framework, uh, protecting systems and sensitive data.
0: You mentioned heavily regulated. You fall for you. You you have all the same regulations that all the big banks have. All of those have. Uh, how much of how much of the, that drives your resource allocation into your security program spend? The the the, the regulation compliance side of it versus because I want to get into a conversation with you about compliance versus security and yep. where where the benefits and trade offs are. But how much of how much of your resource allocation and budget allocation and stuff is What percentage would you say it's driven by compliance needs?
1: I'd say it's a large portion because we are driven by controls. And, you know, the construct of the team kind of drives that where I have five teams and those are aligned to the five core elements of the NIST cybersecurity framework, which we mentioned earlier. But, you know, it's all driven by controls in the financial services industry uh, and in banking. So we have a a director of cybersecurity uh, who focuses on cyber GRC. And then we have an information security team, then an access management team, cybersecurity team, and then a res- resilience team. So each of those five leads have people underneath it. But what drives the four others is the initial, the first team, which is cyber GRC to set our posture management, which then goes right. into policies, procedures, standards, and guidelines. And then the, the heavy tech portions that you see in information security, cybersecurity, and resilience. So it's a large portion.
0: You've been around a long time. I was looking at your bio, 22 years of experience in IT and global cybersecurity operations. True. Before Sentinel, you were pre-CISO at uh, CyberPoint International. So you've been through the ringer for a while. And, and when I talk to CISOs or when I have these conversations with folks, it's either the greatest job in the world or the worst job in the world. Uh, where do you fall?
1: I think it's the, the best job in the world for me. And happy to get into that interest and personality traits later on in the podcast if, if it goes that way. But, you know, the, the core. there are days, just like when I was in the military, the last four being at the Cyber National Mission Force, where it was you don't have good days, meaning you're, something's going on and it's just not uh, satisfying for you. I won't use the word happy. But my job is always, for the most part, satisfying for me. And I think it's the best job in the world for my personality to help. I, it basically I view it as helping people and that's what I truly like to do in my day job as a CISO. Well, I'm always on 24 seven, but, you know, helping also to give back to others that want to get into cybersecurity as well.
0: There's a school of thought though, that this is a thankless job, uh, that, that you're, you're up against, um, low resources, uh, not enough sponsorship from above CISO tenures are about 17 months to 36 months, depending on whose data you believe. Right. Uh, Why is there such a disconnect between this being the greatest job and this being a thankless task for which I'll be blamed and then I'll be out looking for another job in 18 months? Help me understand what's going on in your world.
1: Yeah, you know, CSO, CISO, chief security officer, uh, you know, is chief information security officer, but it's also the chief scapegoat officer every once in a while, depending on how the organization reacts to uh, breaches or attempted breaches. Um, I think it's, you know, a thankless job. Like you said, been through the ringer. I think if you grow up in IT, you understand how a help desk works. You get a lot of, uh, you know, no no silence on the wire. You won't get any thanks at all. You get kicked in the teeth all the time when you're in security, but you have to continue going on. So I think it's, it's thankless because it's a cost center. Everybody sees it as an annoyance or a gateway. What I try to do is align with the business as best we can. So plan, build, run across those three kind of verticals to, I mean, they're interlocked verticals, but... Plan, build, run with the business in a subset or underneath that are the five core elements. So although it is thankless at times, there are pockets of kind of brilliance where you do see that business integration and it really pays off. And, you know, when you're able to stop, let's say, uh, adversaries that are trying to, you um, exploit the the latest uh, vulnerability that's out there, the zero day. And you can actually, you know, your team can take the indicators of compromise, um, the methods of uh, attempted uh, intrusion and block those or see kind of map out the known attack IPs to say, yes, we did see that. Yes, we did block that. And then I get to report that. So I get to highlight the good work. And then everybody, uh, I say everybody, um, the people in the, the, uh, my business actually get to see the value that they're, the return on security investment, you could say, the Rossi. Um, that's very satisfying, but it is a thankless job. I mean, there, you'll, go, you'll get more nothing. I mean, working yourself up to no uh, response uh, or no kind of feedback is kind of, I've turned that into a thank you for myself instead of having them say, thank you.
0: Why do you say it's, why is there this perception that it's still a cost center when we are trying to establish that security has become a business enabler? If you don't get security right, for instance, in your role as the CISO at Sennel FSB responsible for securing the bank, right? If you get security wrong, the business suffers. That's correct. If you get security right, the business can benefit from that as as, as a flag to wave, right? Correct. So why is it still seen as a cost center? Is there, is there a communication gap somewhere? Is there a budgeting gap? Help me understand why that happens.
1: I think it's legacy thought process is thinking that it's or that, that security continues to be a cost center, but the tone at the top really drives it. Um, organizations that embrace security, I think COVID and working remotely, the, the hybrid workforce that we have now really enables uh, the people to see that uh, security is definitely a, a business enabler. Um, I, I, I think in a tweetable answer, it's legacy thought processes that continue at the tone of uh, the tone of the top. Uh, but a lot of organizations now are, you know, maybe not using that term cost center, but seeing the benefit of using uh, security, cybersecurity as a business enabler to go faster and farther with working with uh, security instead of using it as a gateway.
0: Are you guys in the process of undergoing digital transformation or are, are you already there as a fully cloud company?
1: Yeah, we, we the majority of uh, our resources are in the cloud. And I think, you know, digital transformation is a, a continuing type of item because I see it as, uh, you know, you're constantly trying to add features. You're constantly trying to find efficiencies. Uh, so, uh, you know, we're there um, for the most part. Um, but I, I definitely see it as continuing to stay ahead with emerging technology that's Uh, tested and then integrated properly into the environment to make sure that, like I said earlier, you know, going faster and farther using that technology but driving it through business integration.
0: The reality is that everyone has to live in the cloud anyway. I mean, there is no, there is no future without digital transformation, but then I read the headlines like this week, for instance, Microsoft has this big issue where they announced that the signing key was stolen, uh, APT, APT actors. And uh, so we've come to a place where we've outsourced computing to these big cloud security vendors and we're kind of just, I don't want to say blindly trusting, but you know, kind of at the mercy of them securing your data how do you manage risk and communicate that risk in this cloud world where there's so much opaqueness around vulnerability disclosure patching whether your stuff is properly patched help me understand are there technologies that help you you know get that level of visibility and validation on the back end
1: yeah definitely I think vulnerability and patch management is the largest I would say um, kind of not just enabler but more uh, touchstone to say, are you, um, h- how well is your environment? How, how are you managing risk? Can the actual, you know, across the aisle, can the IT team actually uh, pace the prioritized uh, patches uh, that you're identifying in the vulnerability uh, management system that you have? Um, so I think that's a very good barometer, uh, as well as pen testing, you know, internal, external, physical, Uh, Web app pen testing, all of the uh, ransomware preparedness assessments, all of those different views, uh, in addition to, let's say, the multi-cloud environment. Don't just stick with one, right? You know, kind of spread load, as we say in the military, to make sure. And tactical dispersion is a good example of this. I'll I'll talk about that in one second. So all of those different perspectives allow us to get to, I would say, a cybersecurity risk quantification. And I think there are two parts. There is one part where you're looking at all the things that we just talked about: the web app pen testing, the vulnerability assessments, the uh, the Veracodes, the check marks, all of those different uh, uh, application, SAS, DAS, I IAS. You're getting those views. You're also using the security portals that are embedded in AWS, GCP, and also Azure. Uh, the other piece to that, um, to that cyber risk quantification is that's one lobe. I I I picture it as a brain, meaning one side has the controls and the compliance side, and then kind of There's a piece to the other side where there's, you know, above the line, above the compliance line to say, how defensible are you? How ready are you to respond to a ransomware attack? Can you actually uh, withstand and be resilient enough, even if an actor gets into your network? Do you have the tools to detect that? Do you have the uh, wherewithal within the team and the tools to prevent it? And then do you actually have the critical thinkers and the problem solvers to actually respond to it and then reconstitute to known good?
0: How do you know when you have the answers to all these questions, though?
1: Constant practice, you know, repetition. It starts, you know, I played organized sports when I was a kid and all through uh, college. Uh, and it comes from working as a team, uh, collaborating, and then actually testing yourself. It's not just saying that you're good, looking at a piece of paper and putting, you know, a piece of paper, you know, checks in the box to say, yes, we had a tabletop exercise. Well, how effective was that? How effective is your team in doing that? Uh, So the orchestration, someone asked me early on in my CISO kind of tenure overall, when I got out of the military, kind of what keeps me up at night? It's orchestration. You can have the best pieces in the world. You can have the best people in the world. If they don't talk to each other, then you're not going to be as efficient as you should be. So I think the answer is having an independent vendor come in to validate and verify and put a stamp on, yes, these people say their uh, information security program is good. We say they're good too, and here's why. So I think it's a bit of you know regulators, and it's also a bit of vendors coming in and doing those assessments uh, with a um, kind of like a uh, an overwatch or an oversight kind of assessment.
0: Do you find that cyber insurance lately has become also another mark in that oversight assessment? And can you talk a little bit about how uh, uh, requirements for uh, uh, insurance renewals mm-hmm. and underwriting has changed? more recently because of ransomware, but just over the course of your career?
1: Yeah, I think there might be a a lot more exclusions now if you don't have a proper set or a proper, let's say proper information security program. And each carrier is going to be a little, well, somewhat different in their interpretation of what that might be. So if you align to, let's say, uh, you know, um, NIST cybersecurity framework or, you know, or aligned to the FFIEC, which isn't, or the CIS or ISO, you have a very good solid foundation to say, I'm going to answer these carriers' questions uh, to renew our, our, uh, our um, cyber insurance. That gives them the assurance that we are actually aligned to the industry standards, also the regulations. So it's I think it's an additional stamp of approval and uh, assurance that we are doing what we're saying. We're doing our due diligence to make sure that if there is a claim for the cyber insurance that we've done our part now, uh, carrier, it's up to you to you do your part.
0: Uh, you're you're an uh, ex military man. And we're starting to see a lot of energy from the government around cybersecurity. They're evangelizing mm-hmm. zero trust principles, S-bombs, supply chain security, a variety of things, multi factor authentication, and so on. Uh, do you expect, and I ask this question to a lot of folks, and the answers vary. So I'll, I'll ask you with your background and your experience, how how soon can you expect that, that that stuff to filter down to the rest of industry where we get to a baseline of security? Because I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm on the outside looking in, reading headlines, writing headlines. And every week, week after week, the list is always a batch of zero-day attacks, major ransomware infections. It seems like everyone's compromised. Uh, everyone's dealing with these epidemics here and their APT attacks here. Microsoft announcing this there. So it feels like... Again, trying to secure an organization, being a tankless task. So help me understand how you think about it.
1: Uh, so, yeah, it sounds like, you know, how do I measure success? And then it's also, uh, can the government, is the government assisting as much as they can? Uh, I think the answer to, is the government doing what as much as they can? Yes. Um, an example, go ahead.
0: And how does that filter down? Like how, yep. and how and when does that filter down to the rest of industry? Because yep. if the government is doing it, they're going to spend and they're going to spend. And at the federal level, we're probably going to see baseline of security improving over mm-hmm. time. Yep. What about the rest of us or, or small businesses, medium-sized businesses, folks responsible for securing my data? Like,
1: From what I've seen that the U.S. government and governments in general, it's a very slow burn. Nothing happens fast in the government. However... Right they do have enough momentum behind it. It might be, you know, some say glacial speed, but it is momentum, positive uh, momentum forward. That's very, very good. The NIST CSF, the NIST 853, that has become the de facto standards and framework for cybersecurity risk management. That's a very, very good thing, right? And how many years did that take? The NIST uh, National Initiative for Cybersecurity Education, that's taking a very long burn, but it's very structured and and there's a a logical, structured, well-thought approach for both NIST-CSF, nist, CSF, NIST NISEN, 853. I think it's a long burn if you don't have someone from the military or some from, someone from the government that had to adhere to those in the government, then make that, that transition into the civilian workforce like I did. And I can't say enough about the Cyber National Mission Force. I mean, that's where you get offense, defense, and intel collect all in one package. If you're there and you want to, if you want to know if you're good at cyber, go work at Cyber Command and work with the NSA. You'll really find out if you're good. And I think the people, to get back to the answer... Why is that?
0: Why is that? Linger there for a second. Yeah. Why, why do you say that?
1: I think it's the awareness. A lot of, So I, I view it like this. The, you can go through a career, let's say if you're in the civilian workforce, you're only bound by, or you are bound by, what, what, what your, your visibility, the extent of your reach. The extent of your reach is you can't defend farther forward than where your network ends. What you can do with Title 10, Title 18, and Title 50 authorities is go well beyond that. So you get exposed, especially, and that's why I bring up the CNMF, because you're working with, you know, um, uh, Title 78. You're working with a lot of different organizations where you get to see a lot of operations, offense, defense, intel collect, incident response. You'll be able to understand how far they can go. What can they do? And then you get to look at, okay, if we can do that, the other nation states and attackers can do it to us. So when you bring that skill set, that, those concepts and those ideas out into the civilian workforce, that I think is the missing ingredient. That's why I'm with Task Force Movement Cybersecurity, to, to help veterans and others from the government get into the civilian workforce where these civilian organizations, doesn't have to be the United States, could be you know the Five Eyes or any other civilian company that gets to tap into the knowledge that um, the federal and uh, uh, military people have to apply the knowledge. It's one thing, you know, I, I always say, you know, certifications show a level of technical competence. But if you can't get the cert on Sunday and then apply it on Monday, it doesn't really mean anything because you're not benefiting yourself from learning it for so long and spending the money. And then the organization doesn't get the benefit for you applying that knowledge in, 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 uh, in the organization. So I think it's an understanding from, uh, you know, working at, the Fort, at Fort Meade. Uh, on campus there and then applying those concepts without revealing, I mean, we're not talking about top secret information when you go into these banks and these other organizations, but you have an understanding of what can happen and how to best uh, create a team, structure it, and then operate within it, within those two lobes, compliance and then um, defending forward uh, where you can.
0: I want to pick your brain on APTs, threat intelligence, and, you know, cyber spycraft a little bit, because uh, whenever I have threat intel folks or anti-malware folks on my podcast, I always ask them, why should a CISO care whether the Russians are infecting a think tank in some part of the world? Or why should a CISO care whether, you know, a Chinese APT is pilfering documents from a Lockheed Martin, right? Like that doesn't apply to me. I'm over here trying to get my IAM processes working you know why they should care. Uh, and especially in the financial services, you know the North Koreans are going after online banks and so on, You're, you might be a very specific target there. But when I, if I throw the question to you, why should CISOs care about high-end nation state attacks? What would your answer be?
1: I think at a very high level, it's another tactic technique and procedure or TTP and the miter attack framework that will eventually affect you. Because what, what, a fa- what affects one organization could be rift and then used against you. So when you hear about these attacks, especially as a CISO, you need to start thinking about, okay, what questions do I need to ask my cyber threat intelligence platform to yield an information or yield data and actionable information that's, that's pertinent to me? And, you know, a lot of people, when you ask the question, okay, like, like the, you said, this thing, um, let's just say, APT XYZ uh, infiltrated uh, and was has been collecting over the past five years this think tank. Who cares? Well, one, they've been there for five years. How did they do that? How could they stay there for so long? What what lessons can you learn to not make those same mistakes? And there are some very basic things. I think a lot of people would be surprised, like the vulnerability and patch management. That's a huge thing. Everybody hears about that all the time. But it's just like working out or just like brushing your teeth. These everyday things, these hygiene items that have security, impl- huge security implications need to be adhered to. If you let it go, if you let it slip even for a day, that increases your window that you could be exposed and exploited.
0: Are you a big fan of threat intelligence and using IOC data and so on for, for threat hunting, post-incident threat hunting and so on? And g- help me understand like the, 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 the value you get out of that, because there's some discussion about whether it, the, the cost of good threat intel is worth the value you get out of it. The data is stale very quickly and so on. How, how do you view
1: yeah, there's a couple. I sense
0: that you're bullish on it.
1: Uh, yeah, it, it, it's a good thing. I think you have to tune it correctly or you're wasting your money. There are some very good companies out there, um, which, you know, happy to share if somebody interacts with me, um, some some in New York, some that I know. Um, and, you know, big, big organizations, Microsoft has their cyber threat and Um, And that's informed and enhanced um, and enriched by thousands of other organizations and people that you know, submit or the, the telemetry that's interactive between the systems where you can, the, the platform itself is, is yielding data that's usable for you. Um, I think for the IOC's part of this, where we can, you know, pull those indicators of compromise and then check in our systems if we've seen any of that um, uh, compromise or if we've been uh, breached is very valuable. Because one of the things that, I've been thinking about doing this for a while is just putting out a series of incident response Kind of uh how to's like we have this thing called the salt report if we get any vendor indication or indication that a vendor was compromised or we have some sort of uh with uh, that we there is a compromise in our systems i'll i'll ask my team to create a salt report which is scope activity location and time that fir- that initial report it's kind of like a sit rep or a situation report right. you see in the military it gives you that initial look at okay what are we working with Right? What kind of uh, malware are we working with? Is it in our systems? Are people just knocking at the door? Do we have business impact? Because that's gonna set off, all that impact is gonna set off notifications to the regulators, to the cli- our clients in, in my case, and uh, borrowers and to other state uh, agencies, depending on your situation. So I think it's, and it's also, the other important piece with IOCs is that that allows me to confirm with known information that of the information that's out there, that's been released, we can say, to a degree of certainty, we have looked for those indicators of compromise and found no disruptions in our system. Our systems say that we are not compromised based on the information that's available. So that's highly valuable, telling the story
0: what happens when you don't have access to logs to even do that searching right i mean this came up much recent very recently with this microsoft issue but that i imagine it's not only a microsoft issue across the board you know uh, just access to logs or or sometimes even the vendor doesn't retain the logs right like you're never for, you're never you're never 100% confident of anything because of that right your visibility is somewhat tilted where do you how do you how do you fix fit that into your measurement
1: i think if well it I don't want to say we're we're in a, it, well it's in a fortunate position that we're in where we're constantly regulated or you know in a highly regulated environment so we have that log retention for those that don't have the log retention or right if, but what if
0: what if what if you're relying on your third party cloud vendor to provide that log for you and you don't have it or that or it's at a, a different tier a different licensing tier a higher licensing tier like that's the that's the crux of the issue though right mm-hmm. I,
1: I think it's that is a difficult situation to to solve. Different problem, a, a difficult problem to solve. I think if you're a, a small organization and you don't have that type of,
0: um, you can't afford it. Exactly. I mean, well, that's what I was going to
1: say. Then then you're then you're telling a story to make a case to get that budget, and that might come from cyber threat intelligence, and it also comes from those readiness assessments. Now, uh, those readiness assessments, if you don't have the money to pay for logging. Uh, it sounds like you wouldn't have money to pay for a, a ransomware assessment, a preparedness assessment. Um, in that case, I would say work with um, any of the local kind of uh, infra guards or you know, ISACs. Yeah, yeah ISACs, and you know, there's that, that, a little bit of spend there too. But there are organizations. <laughs> so, yeah. That's what I'm
0: saying. There's a security tax in place everywhere, yes. and it's it's something we're not really discussing. A security tax. Uh, that still leaves us somewhat blind. Right. And the observability piece is just not there, and the level of confidence that you have to have in this is has to be lowered, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, yes, but and but there uh, came across something uh, just a bit ago. Uh, I haven't researched it much, uh, but there's open source uh, threat intel platforms. I think it was made out of Belgium or Denmark, but it's called MISP. And now I think it's, I mean, I'll have the research I'm bringing it up here without knowing the, the, the five W's, but <laughs> it's okay. there, there, are, uh, there are platforms out there that you can use that are open source and very, very effective. So if you don't have the logging and you don't have the budget to do the logging, you can possibly use, I, I would say two things to help people if if they're willing to, to if, and open to these suggestions. One, uh, start making a case for, based on other people's um, unfortunate events being breached. Uh, to build your story and then also use open source threat intel to say, here's what we're seeing. Here's what happened to other people. And they can use the MITRE ATT&CK framework. Here's where we're vulnerable. Here's why we need to spend this. Do you want to spend an average of $4.28 million, and I'm making it up, to clean right. up a breach? Or do you want to pay 95000 every year? You know, for each right, breach, right. you pay $4.2 million or something like that.
0: And that's your job, right? Like yes. your job is is constantly communicating this and asking for, and making sure that you're properly resourced to what the demands are, right?
1: That's correct. And not going too far over the line as far as too much spend uh, because we definitely want to keep the effectiveness That's I'm constantly looking at how much we're spending to the effectiveness that we're getting out of it. And then telling that story, which is, it's a it's a daily activity.
0: Uh, Jason, on the side, you run a project called MyCyberPath.com that's a uh, project uh, uh, Tangentially related to, I don't know, I want to call it the cybersecurity skills shortage. I want to ask the question two ways. One is two or three years ago, we had a massive cybersecurity skills shortage. Jen Easterly, uh, CISA director, went to Black Hat and talked about the need for us to recruit better and find more people and so on. Two years later, macroeconomic issues persist and there's layoffs everywhere. Security programs have been badly hurt Mm -hmm. by layoffs. What it, this is what July 2023. How do you look at it? Help me understand how your view of the job market.
1: So I mentioned earlier. Well, so just a, a quick kind of plug for uh, there's a lot of talent out there now based on the macroeconomic kind of issues that are occurring layoffs. So we don't have
0: a cybersecurity skills shortage anymore.
1: <laughs> uh, I think it's. I think there is a case to say. That, that that might be true. <laughs> okay, <laughs> now, I think go. there's I think there's a, a global cybersecurity shortage in career pathways on how people actually do this. You know, people. What does that mean? That means that people. You know, one of the things on, that in in mycyberpath.com is there. and one thing that this is, and this is coming from a problem that I solved for myself in 2009. I wanted to become a CISO when I got out of the military in 2019. So I had a 10 year uh, kind of length to wait to get out of the military. What was I gonna to do to prepare myself to be a chief information security officer? So I looked at the, prop, the right certifications to get. Okay, CISSP is one of those, good, got it. CISA might be one of those others. So I, cho- I chose CISSP, gold standard, uh, benchmark kind of certification, right? Shows a level of te- technical competence. Then you. Then I looked at, okay, what else am I gonna need? So certifications, experience, training and education are the four elements that make a well-rounded professional. So I think that even though people might not, uh, there is, there's enough people out there that are job hunting and based on the economic uh, pressures that we have right now, a lot of people are free. The tech talent is there to come into cybersecurity, but they don't know how to break into cyber because one, you know, HR organizations will say, well, how much experience do you have with um, cybersecurity? They go, none, but I've been working in IT for 30 years or 15 years or whatever it might be. You know, I think cybersecurity is a mindset. And if they tune to offense, defense, and they'll collect, they'll be able to see, okay, this is how I can use my ad, my um, IT admin IT. St- skills on how to break into a network. It's a mindset. You know, a criminal is a criminal because they know how to break into buildings, right? Or steal cars. Other people can learn this too. They're human and so are you. And so the guiding part uh, that I was kind of talking about across certifications, experience, training, and education, which certs, which education to get? At what time? And then how do you tell that story? How do you articulate? I would be good in cybersecurity because of this. That's the piece that's missing. I think
0: so. You're a big fa- You're a big fan of certifications, even though they're like certification factories that roll out this stuff. Talk to me. Uh, uh, how, how do you view? I know you're, you're a fan of certifications, but in general, are you a big fan of college degrees? Uh, put you ahead of the list uh, or like, how do you think of, of the education piece when you're hiring?
1: I'm only a fan of certifications and degrees when they're combined in the right sequence for that person. Because the, like, the certifications that we have chosen for the 12 archetypal cybersecurity pathways in mycyberbat.com are purposely chosen based on their durability and what they get to apply that knowledge from the cert, uh, get it on Sunday, apply it on Monday. So the, uh, I'm only a fan of certs and only a fan of degree if it's a specific fit for the person. So then they can use it to think critically and solve problems on the job. So as a hiring manager, if I see someone has, let's say, five, six, seven certifications, that's a signal for me that they're going to be having a lot of CPES and not applying. They're going to be more. They're going to be chasing CPES more so than doing work for the business. So that's a that's a flag.
0: <laughs> we're, we're running out of time, and cool. I want to end on this kind of big pic- sure. picture question. Uh, the the and I mentioned this early in the podcast. The average tenure for a CSO is. 18, 36 months, maybe three years. Mm-hmm. It depends on on, on on who you listen to. And, and and as a CISO, you're required to make these big bets, these big transformational bets that keep the organization uh, on the right path as it relates to security. Mm-hmm. How do you as a CISO manage that mindset of, you know what, I'm here for the long haul to make these big bets when you're not there for the long haul? And the the, the reality is that you're begun in two years. Is that is that a struggle for, for you folks, not you personally, but, but CISOs in general?
1: It might be for a lot of CISOs, and maybe this will help all the other CISOs. You know, having the experience that I have and having uh, being in the military, being at CNMF, it, it allows me to, and also being as a CISO, to make those big bets based on a, a very large foundation, a large pile of, of great information and great influencers. Um, I, I think... I heard, I heard a phrase just a couple of weeks ago, uh, all in, all the time. So at, at Senlar, I am fully committed to the CEO, the COO, my boss, the CIO, and there's no other way about it. Um, and the reason I do that is because it allows me to, to put my skin in the game to make sure that I'm doing everything that I can 100% all the time to make sure that it, it, there's, no, there's no half-stepping this. As, that's how I view that. So if to, to go back to the original part, to help other CISOs go all in all the time as if you will be there for the next 25 years.
0: Is there a burnout risk with that approach?
1: Yes, <laughs> there is. Right? This,
0: this all in thing with this high stress and the level of responsibility and the scapegoating and all of that, you're, mm-hmm. you're, on, the, you're on a path to burnout, right? So mm-hmm. how do you avoid that? How do you, how do you make sure you're all in and make sure you're not burnt out? Uh, per, uh,
1: like Personally. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I some the, if you've heard of Wim Hof, then the Wim Hof method, they call him the Iceman. It's like a um, kind of meditation type of thing, but it's uh, breathing and then kind of centering yourself. It might sound you know hippy dippy or real spiritual. It works. And it it kind of is, and it does work because even today, I mean, I do that every pretty much every day. Where it's going to be, I work out all the time to make sure that all of the other noise goes away, and I only have to breathe. Or it depends on how you work out. That's how I do it um but you really have to manage that uh, on a personal level because the all in all uh, all the time does take its toll so you have to definitely take time to make sure that you're not burnt out personally but then the tone of the top has to realize that this thankless job is very very important and the people do get burned out so i'm constantly watching that for my in my team too
0: do you find that's changing uh, the tanklessness from CEOs down to CISOs or top management down to CISOs. Do you find that that's slowly changing as they're appearing on CNBC and they're appearing in front of Congress as well, the CEOs?
1: Yes, I think the larger the ransoms, the more attention. more they care. Exactly. And it's a very real threat. You know, this is, oh, that that, that only happens to the other organization. no. This could happen right now um so that's where we're constantly uh vigilant but i think it is the the tone tone at the top is changing especially in my organization or it it has already so
0: thank you very much jason uh we can go on and on (laughs) as usual welcome back whenever you're you're welcome to come back whenever thank you appreciate the time
1: thanks ryan